0: Uh, The title of this morning's message is uh, Jesus Christ, the Anointed One and His Anointing. And I would like to speak to you about Christ uh, and the anointing uh, that he operated with uh, in, uh, in his life when he uh, walk the shores of Galilee, as we say, and how that anointing is available to us today as believers. So I want to read again from Luke chapter 4, verse 16. We've been, been there before in the last few weeks, and I just want to pick up on that again and... Uh, That is our starting point. Uh, It says in verse 16, So when Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. um, And when he had opened the book, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so um, we see here how Jesus... um, as he entered into his public ministry at at about 30 years of age, um, he made a proclamation uh, in the synagogue in his hometown. He stood up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I mean, he's only just reading out of Isaiah chapter 61, which is where that prophecy comes from. But then when he closed the book, he says, and he looked at everybody and he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And, uh, and because being Jewish people, they had been taught. Old Testament they knew that that scripture specifically replied to the Messiah that it specifically rep- uh, applied to the promised deliverer that was going to come to set the people free and because everybody sat there stunned it's like people just absolutely stunned like if you had slapped them you could have not got more of, an att- of, a, of a kind of a reaction out of them and of course we haven't got time to carry on as to how everything transpired from there but uh, it tells us here that Jesus referred to six specific functions that he was anointed uh, to perform. Number one, he says, uh, I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. We discussed that extensively last Sunday. Um, Number two, he says, I'm anointed to heal the brokenhearted. Number three, he says, I'm anointed to proclaim liberty to the captives. Uh, uh, He also came to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Uh, to set at liberty, number five, those who were oppressed. Uh, and of course, we've already read in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, where it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And we say that sickness is an oppression of the devil. And Jesus says, I'm anointed to lift sickness and disease off of people's lives. Um, the number uh, si- uh, six here, it says that he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, and we said the acceptable year of the Lord is, is reference to the year of the Lord's favor. Um, in the Old Testament, they called it the year of release or the year of Jubilee. Um, and, of course, uh, it meant something specific back then, but today uh, the, Jesus came to preach the gospel to release people from the burden and the debt of sin and the consequence of sin. That, uh, and not only that, but to release us from any bondage, from any burden that we may have in our own lives. And so we kind of defined the word anointing as meaning that, number one, we said the anointing is the burden-removing and the yoke-destroying power of god we said that the anointing is also the presence and the power of the holy spirit to heal and to liberate and so that's where we've been for the last few weeks and i want to move on from there and look at another aspect of the anointing that i believe to be very 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 important so um, in your outline there the next statement there it says that in the scriptures jesus is called the christ all right we talk about Jesus Christ, and sometimes he's called Jesus the Christ. Um, and the word Christ is from the Greek word Christos, and it means the anointed one. All right, so the word Christos actually means anointed one. And sometimes we need to just dig a little deeper and to get into the original language, if you like, because in English, we are reading uh, translations um, of, of the original text, which is okay, but we do have to go back to the original text, because sometimes in, in translation, something gets lost, or worse still, uh, that uh, many of us, before we got born again, we knew Christ as a swear word, more than as what the original meaning really is and who it refers to. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so you can kind of glance over something and miss something major that God wants us to get. So in effect, it says that the Bible calls our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Anointed One. Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus, the Anointed One. The word Christ comes from a, a Greek word which talks about to rub on. Um, or to pour on, or to smear on. And when they talk about the anointing, the physical anointing with oil that was poured on, and if oil was solid, it was kind of rubbed on. And that's the the, the root word of where the word Christ comes from. Um, And so Jesus is the anointed one that was promised way back in the Old Testament. And when he arrived, they called him, they called him Jesus, they called him Christ, they called him the anointed one. So, therefore, the name Christ isn't Jesus' surname. (laughs) Okay? How you know that that names work differently around uh, the world? In In some cultures, they don't have surnames. We have surnames in Western culture, but that's not to say that that needs to be applied right across the board. And we read it that and say, well, we, we we got names. we got a, a first name and a surname, and, and here's Jesus. He's, Jesus is the first name, and Christ is his surname. Well, that's actually not true. How <laughs> I mean, you know that we can impose Western thinking on biblical truth and come up with the wrong conclusion? Uh, in fact, uh, Ken, uh, Kenneth Copeland has done extensive teaching 15 years ago or something where he had the revelation to bring that back to the body of Christ that, that Christ isn't Jesus' surname. Christ is a title. It is reference that he is the anointed one. But not only is he the anointed one, but it is also reference to his anointing. So Christ, in many respects, that means Christ the anointed one and his anointing. Because he can't disconnect the anointing from the anointed one. And... Uh, so of course we know that Jesus specifically was anointed uh, when he was baptized by by John the Baptist when he stood in the River Jordan, and uh, John baptized him, and there was some dialogue, some discussion going on, and uh, and uh, and Jesus came up from the water, and the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon him, and John the the apostle says, I saw the Spirit coming on him like a dove. Um, and, of course, people said, the Holy Spirit is a dove. No, 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 he's not a dove. He came on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit he is not a dove. Sometimes people try to sort of have pictures there of some sort of a dove. So Here, here's the Holy Spirit. No, he's not a dove. <laughs> it's interesting how people sometimes get things a bit disconnected and come up with the wrong conclusion. Um, so, so, the Holy Spirit came upon him and uh and it was that was the the moment where Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and from then on he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Of the devil, and he fulfilled those six functions that we have just gone through before: to preach, to heal, to liberate, to cast out devils, uh, to heal people uh, in every respect, physically, emotionally, to lift burdens off of people's lives, and 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 to destroy yokes uh, so that they could be free. Because he, uh, amongst other things, is the deliverer, um, the Messiah. Uh, which we will be looking at in just a moment. So in John chapter uh, 1, verse 35, Jesus has just been baptized. It says here in verse uh, 35, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus And and Jesus turned and seeing them follow, he said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, uh, or translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and remained with him that day, for it was now about the 10th hour. Right now, I don't know exactly what the 10th hour means, but it was late. All right, it was late. So one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, let's just get a picture here. Here is John the Baptist. Um, He's the forerunner of Jesus. John the Baptist came into kind of his ministry into popularity, and then they carried on for a while. But when Jesus came in, he kind of tapered off. In fact, John said, he says, I must decrease, but Jesus must increase. John the Forerunner had pretty much done his job, and he's now decreasing. John actually had disciples that followed him. Um, not just he wasn't just kind of uh, appealing to, to to kind of to the population as a whole, but he had a few people follow him that kind of they were disciples, and it was not uncommon for religious people uh, in those days to actually have disciples that followed them around, and 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 uh, and uh, they were taught and they were instructed and they helped in the ministry, uh, and they would have helped. Uh, john doing baptizing john wasn't physically baptizing everybody himself he had his disciples help him and one of those was uh andrew um and now as john's ministry is kind of tapering off and as he's kind of uh, pulling back and jesus is coming in uh two of these guys are now switching over they were disciples of john they're now becoming disciples of jesus christ that's kind of the picture there all right and he says uh, and uh, One of those was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And verse 41 says that he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So here is Andrew. He's been a disciple of John for some time. uh, And now they, they, they found Jesus. They found the Messiah. And he goes to his own brother and he says, Guess what? Peter, guess what? In fact, Simon, it was actually uh, Jesus that called Simon Peter. Uh, So he says, guess what, Simon? He says, we found the Messiah. Now, of course, average Western mind, like Messiah, what's that? Uh, Jewish mind? Absolutely no. That's the deliverer. That's the promised one and, and, and Andrew says we found him. But specifically upon a point he says, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. So Messiah is an old testament word, uh, and they moved it over into New Testament. They moved it from from Hebrew, which is Old Testament, over into Greek. Uh, so you got two words with the same meaning. In fact, what they used to do many times, and we still do that today, where rather than something being translated, it is transliterated. The difference being is that uh, if you translate something, you end up with an entirely new word, uh, which hopefully has the same meaning. But to transliterate means to bring the same word across and to just modify the pronunciation slightly and sometimes modify the, the, the um the, uh, the spelling of it, but it's still the same word, all right? So that's what they've done here. They moved this word across. He says, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Uh, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the anointing, uh, rather the anointed one. And in the Amplified translation, it actually tells us exactly that. He says, we have found, we have discovered the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, the anointed one. All right? And uh, Messiah uh, is from the Greek word uh, Messias. And that's from the Hebrew word Mashiach. So see how the pronunciation is similar. Uh, The spelling is slightly different, but it is actually the same word, and it means the anointed one. So when the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus Christ coming, they used the word Mashiach. They used the word the anointed one that's going to come. And if anybody had had their wits about them, when Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he, he fulfilled messianic scripture by, by making that announcement in the synagogue in his hometown. He says, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, the spirit had been upon other prophets and other, other people. But this is different because that reference that Jesus um, spoke from only applied to the Messiah and to the Messiah only. (laughs) So so if they had understood, it would have been much easier, but most of them lost it. So Mashiach uh, is the Hebrew word, Mashiach. Everybody say Mashiach. Now, I'm not a Hebrew, so if I got it slightly wrong, then we all got it slightly wrong. But who cares? It's not so much about the pronunciation rather than the truth that we are after here. All right. So it means the anointed one. Now, we want to move on from there and talk about Christians, the anointed ones. We're moving on now. All right. Let's read from Acts chapter 11, verse 25. uh, Because people refer to themselves as Christians with no full comprehension of what exactly that means. Here in Acts 11.25, it says, Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Paul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Now they tell us that uh, there's two different places called Antioch. This one is an Antioch that's up in in present-day Turkey, it's kind of one of the first uh, places where the church really began to take off outside of uh, uh, Israel. And uh, in fact, Antioch became such a strong Gentile church, it became a sending church, where they started to uh, do evangelism out of from there rather than out of uh, just Jerusalem. But anyway, look at the last statement here in this scripture. It says, and, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So initially, when people followed Jesus Christ, they weren't called uh, Christians. They were just called disciples. Um, um, Disciples, they were called followers, uh, if you like. But now they're called Christians. Now the word Christians comes from the Greek word Christianos. Christianos. It's a bit like a Greek and Hebrew language lesson here this morning. Christianos. So when we say we're Christians, we're really saying if we were to speak uh, Greek, we would say we're Christianos. That's who we are. Now, dictionaries define the word Christians as followers of Jesus Christ. And they're absolutely correct. That's exactly what the word means. All right. But that definition, although correct, it's incomplete. And here is why. Because it ignores the meaning of the anointing in the word Christianos. So what are we saying? Well, the word Christ inside the word Christian still means anointed one. You see this? So we have the word Christ, which means anointed one. So it is extended out to, to be referenced to Christians, and, and plural at that. But if you look at the word Christian, whether you do it in English or in, in, in the Greek language, you still got the word Christ in there. And the original meaning of the word Christ is anointed one. So what you and I are doing, many times not realizing, when we refer to ourselves as Christians as christianos we're not only referring to ourselves as followers of jesus christ but we're referring to ourselves as anointed ones all right sometimes christians like oh if only i could get anointed you know like well if you're a christian you're anointed all right I will discuss the specifics of that just a little bit more, but let me just really go over that again to make sure that every believer, because you see the old-time Pentecostals, they had a saying, they talked about the priesthood of all believers. Because back then, uh, and I've said this before, but back then you had the clergy and you had the laity. The clergy were the guys that had special dresses on, you know, in places where the the fathers looked like the mothers, you know, like the... (laughs) that kind of a deal, and then all the other, you know, all the foot soldiers, all the all the laity, uh, who were <laughs> just laity. Well, the Bible knows no such, such description. This is all man made terminology. And the reason why the laity weren't doing anything, because they were kept ignorant. They weren't taught the word. They weren't taught that they too were anointed ones. It's kind of made out that there's only one layer of people, uh, uh, as it were. You know, the ministers were anointed and all the others were not anointed. But the Bible says everybody is anointed. Every believer has an anointing. Now, of course, there is different types of anointings. uh, And we could go on and we could go into the word graces and, and everything. And this turns out to be a little bit like a Bible college message here this morning. But this is important. This is important. So let me say it again. The word Christ inside the word Christian still means anointed one. So Christ is the anointed one, capital A, capital O. And we the Christians are the anointed ones, small a and small o. All right. So um, we don't want to take away from Christ. We don't want to take away from us. This is about the only way that I know how to describe that. That we are all anointed ones. We are not Jesus Christ himself, but we are all anointed ones in our own right. When I say in our own right, connected with God. Not in ourselves, but connected with God. And with that, we want to swing into Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, God decided to let his people know his rich and glorious secret which he has for all his people. Circle the word, all his people. And the secret is Christ himself who is in you. He's our hope for glory. As one translation says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you see, here's the point. Not only is Christ in us, the person, but so is his anointing in us, because he cannot separate the anointing from the anointed one. The secret in in uh, in the in the King James Version, in the New King James Version, it speaks about a mystery the word secret kind of uh, is not the best translation for this verb because a mystery is a truth that is not yet revealed Paul says he had received the mystery of the church the mystery of the of the of the gospel and and he's preaching it and once it's revealed it's like you know God doesn't hide anything from us but he hides it for us and as we seek out and dig in the mystery, then the mystery is revealed, and we have an understanding, and we can operate with that understanding. It's difficult to operate in something if you don't know it's there. It's kind of people have an anointing, but many times don't realize it's there. And, and sometimes, in fact, it, it, it shouldn't amaze us, but, you know, some discussions that we're having, even with, you know, Pastor Vanessa going down to, to minister at the aglow setting there and to kind of explain how the Holy Spirit functions in and through us and, and what that feels like. And la- ladies are saying to her, it's like, oh, I, I wondered what that, that sensation was. I wonder when I get this, I wondered what that is. And now that they have an understanding, they can facilitate this function in and through them. And they can yield to it and they can pursue it rather than, oh, I wonder what that is. That's why the teaching of the word is so important. Because it opens up new avenues for us to function in that God wants us to function in. But most people are mystified (laughs) because the mystery has not been explained and therefore it is not revealed. Alright, so if Christ is in us, then his anointing is in us. And specifically in 2 Corinthians 1.21, we've been there before, but let's look at it again. It says, but it is God who establishes us together with you in Christ. So it's basically saying that uh, as far as... Believers are concerned. We are all established together in Christ. We are all connected together in Christ. We are all one body. You haven't got two bodies, five bodies, 15 bodies. You, you haven't got a, you know, a, a Catholic body or a Protestant body or an Anglican body or a Pentecostal body or, or a Veteran Christian saint body. We are all one body in Christ. Now we are individual congregations. But we're still only one body. Ultimately, there's only one church in Lower Hutt. Ultimately. That's what we demonstrate when, when, when I get together with ministers here, uh, which we do on a regular basis, we recognize there's only one church in Lower Hutt. We haven't got 15 competing. Um, we're not a competition. Uh, we complete one another. All right? So we're not, that's why we don't feel threatened by other churches, nor do we threaten other churches because we're all part of the same body. So he says, he says, it is God who establishes us together with you in Christ and who anointed us. Says in the latter part of the verse. God who anointed us. So at the point of our conversion, God the, the Father established us in Christ. He took us. God took us out of the kingdom of darkness and He placed us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He placed us into His family. He placed us into Christ. And water baptism is a demonstration of that. And then He goes on to say, and at the point of our baptism with the Holy Spirit, He anointed us. So... When we say all believers are anointed, it is true in principle. But specifically, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues that brings the anointing into our lives. So I don't want to kind of confuse you by saying that all Christians are anointed and now I'm saying only the Spirit-filled Christians are anointed. The reality is that Jesus performed no single miracle even though he was, for all intents and purposes, born again, when, and of course that opens up a whole new thing. That see, see, we're we're brought out of darkness into into God's marvelous light. Jesus never was in darkness; he always had a righteous spirit on the inside of him. But it is not until the Holy Spirit came upon him, when the the anointing began to function, how it says in Acts ten verse thirty-eight, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. When was that? When he stood in Jordan River, being water baptized, and when he, when he came up from the water, the Holy Spirit came down and uh, came upon him, and it was at that moment that Jesus was anointed um, with the Holy Spirit, and, and he began to function in those six designated functions that he had to fulfill as the Messiah. He was the Messiah way back. When he was born, he was born the Messiah, But the function did not begin to happen until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And Christians are all anointed to do things, but it's not really happening until they become baptized with and filled with the Spirit and remain filled up so that we can now function. And as again, the old-time Pentecostals used to say, you know, in, in the King James Version, it uses a word, an unction. I have an unction from the Holy One. And they say, we got an unction to function. All right, I like that. we got an unction to function. And the unction is not just there to feel good, but the unction is there to function so we can minister to other people and help to remove burdens and yokes in their lives, help to get them healed and cast out the devil and to prophesy to encourage others and, and so forth. And it's not even limited to that. It goes way beyond that. So here it is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Here is John, the apostle, speaking to the believers. You. As they sometimes say, use, Yous. <laughs> Yous have an anointing. <laughs> anointing. <laughs> Praise God. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. And again, King James Version says, you have an unction from the Holy One. Now, (coughs) average Western mind doesn't understand the word unction, doesn't understand the word anointing. That's why we teach and we break it down so we can begin to function in this thing. (laughs) All right. In fact, uh, John, the, the, the context here is that uh, false teachers began to come in. He says, Antichrist, uh, which is an interesting word. Antichrist is anti the anointing. When sometimes uh, people rise up from within churches because the, the Pentecostal expression is there more than what they feel comfortable with. So they say, we don't like this. Speaking in tongues. We don't like this uh, laying hands on people and seeing them fall down. It's anti-Christ. Because it's anti-the anointing. Because when the anointing begins to function, things begin to happen. There's a display of the power of God. And in fact, there's layers of truth in that. But, uh, you know, the Bible speaks of false... Christ, interesting thought, false Christ. So that's not just empty, but it is also false. So there's a false anointing. The Bible speaks of lying signs and wonders just to capture people's attention and to pull them away from God. And it is said that uh, the Antichrist, the person that is due to come and to manifest in his last days, He's got a false anointing to produce false signs and wonders, to pull people away after him. But he's a false Christ. He's not the true Christ. That's why we ought never to get overly pulled in this direction or in that direction when something flash, something sensational begins to happen. Just serve God where you are, just carry on. You know, like uh, 25, 26 years of pastoring and being Christians for 30-odd years, you know, we've seen like the rise and the fall of things, the ebbs and the flows, like, you know, fads come and fads go. Winds of doctrine blow this way and then they blow that way. And and then Christians get swayed along and pulled along with this and with that. and, And God wants us to live stable lives, serve God. And move on and, and, and just let's just let's just remain committed and not be pulled out of or pulled over here or pulled over there because something flashy and something more sensational is happening, because it is not the sensational that ultimately uh, makes a difference in society. It's the power of God. You know, the tragedy has been said that you take some of the mega churches that they have in different uh places cities around the world multiplied thousands of people in it oh it's very flashy and praise god for all the people that are born again but it's been said you you pluck them out and in the city hardly anybody would know they're gone because it always just become a bit of a bless me club there's nobody much reaching out there's nobody you know going doing prison Ministry or hospital ministry, or reaching out to drug and to alcohol dependent people, and not nobody helping the poor. Uh, Oh, there's a few token things here and there, but in the reality is that nobody really all that much functioning. They got a very sleek presentation, and they got a professional layer of people in there who can put on a good show on a Sunday to give people a moment of feel good. (laughs) Are we all right this morning? I didn't plan to get into all of that, but I'm just telling you that you have an unction to function. We're not not just here spectators to feel good. The unction is not to feel good, the unction is to function. And uh, there were false teachers that had got out there and and John is saying to this "Come on he says, you guys got your own anointing he says uh, and uh, but specifically he says, "You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things he says you need to listen to you don't need to listen to some of that uh, some of that fancy uh, fancy stuff that they're dishing up that may sound sensational, but in the end it produces no commitment in people's lives it produces no spiritual maturity in people's lives it produces no growth it's not intended for that it is intended to pull away and to purely entertain. And and, and John says, no, no, no. He says, says, the anointing, he he says, you know all things. And in the context here, he's talking about, you know all things as far as the difference between right and wrong is concerned, between truth and error. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We have got Christ the anointed one and his anointing. We got the spirit of Christ on the inside of us. And how Christians can, can get so easily into error, it's because they're not listening to the anointing on the inside of them that warns them. Say, stay away from this. Don't listen to that. Don't watch this. Don't run with that crowd. Just a check. We can say, I have, I'm having a check in my spirit. Like the Holy Spirit, the anointing is trying to teach me now. In verse twenty seven he goes on to say, But the anointing which you have received again plural the anointing is it is understood that every one of them was spirit filled. That was a truth that was well-established. It wasn't immediately in the early days when, you know, Peter, uh, should I say, Paul came to, to Ephesus uh, there in Acts chapter 19, and he says there were disciples there, but he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? He says, they, they said, we didn't even know that there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he laid hands on them, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. And, uh, but then by the time that John's writing this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was understood. There was no, no problem. People get born again, filled with the Spirit, and everybody's got an unction to function. He says, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teaches you. But it's the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. Now in the context here, it's talking about all things where right and wrong is concerned, where truth and error is concerned. You know, sometimes you hear stuff presented and laid out and it may even sound good to the natural mind, but in the spirit, like I'm, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable about this. There's a check in my spirit. And sometimes it's not even, it's not even what's said as much as who says it. Kenneth Hagen used to say, look, he says, uh, with, you know, is, is an older minister by then, and he, uh, he trained up, multiplied thousands of people under his ministry at the Raymer Ministry there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, sending out ministers in all directions. And, and then he talked, and there's others that have since started Bible colleges and also training up people. And he said, look, he says, I'm not so concerned about what these new ministers are saying now. It's not, it's not what they say that concerns me. He says, it's what's in their heart. That's what concerns me. He says, because there's not that same level of sanctification there as there was with the original generation of word of faith people. Some of them got a bit loose. Some of them got a bit, you know, they got much liberty and so forth. And so, so he's, and John says, look, he says, the anointing teaches you. Concerning all, all things, and he says, and is true and is not a lie, because they were hearing lies. People had come in and people were hearing lies, and he says, Look, the anointing will, will teach you to not listen to that. He says, Just as it has taught you, and you will abide in him. Let me read to you, and we've got multiple things going on here. Is everybody all right this morning? Like, we've got multiple layers here. But we can do that. It's almost like we're multitasking. We've got two, three messages on the go all at once. <laughs> Message translation, same verse. But they are no match for you, uh, for, rather for what is embedded deeply within you. They, meaning the false teachers. says, they are no match for what is embedded deeply within you. Christ's anointing, and no less. So what is deeply be embedded within us? Christ's anointing. And no less. He, he says, uh, you don't need any of their so-called teaching. Christ's anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself in Him, uncontaminated by a single lie. Live deeply in what you were taught. So in the context here, we need to realize that John is not saying that we don't need any more teaching. That's not what he's saying. Because why would would God anoint people to teach the word and then say over here, you don't need to be taught anymore in the general sense. That's not what he's saying, but where, where truth and error was concerned, where these people had tried to come in, if anybody had any sense of spiritual maturity and any sense of listening to the Holy Spirit on the inside of them, they should have picked up that these guys were liars, that these guys were false anointed ones, that they were antichrist, they were kind of the the, the pseudo-anointed ones that were great orators, great public speakers. Great, sleek presentation, but what they brought brought wasn't messages from God. But the point is, he says, that you have Christ's anointing within you. He says, no less. So again, every spirit-filled believer is anointed, and Christ's anointing abides and lives within us. And to kind of move on from there, now that we've established that, in First John chapter four, verse 14, Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, "Do not neglect the gift that is in you." Well what is the gift that is in him? Well he says, "That special inward endowment which was directly imparted to you by the Holy Spirit by prophetic utterance when the elders laid their hands upon you at your ordination." Now, um, we pointed out before that there's not just one single anointing. There are anointings, plural. It's from the same Holy Spirit, but the administration of it is outworked differently in different lives um, and in different callings and in different anointings. That's why Paul in his teaching, when he taught about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, uh, and working of miracles, healings, and, 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 and all of these gifts. It's the same spirit, but it's a different gift. And when we talk about, uh, we talk about uh, people that are anointed to stand in the 5 ministry offices, such as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, it's the same Holy Spirit that is anointing them, but the administration is different the outworking is different and and even down to every single believer when when a believer ministers to somebody encouragement or ministers healing or something that it's not always cookie cutter because everybody has an individual anointing and sometimes it's outworked slightly differently but the reality is every believer is anointed and we are not to neglect the gift many many Christians neglect the gift ignore the gift many Christians don't know they have a gift that's why we're teaching on it if we if we are ignorant of it we will absolutely neglect it because we don't know there's a particular function in the anointing pastor Vanessa's life that in the early years of our Christianity it was there we couldn't explain it uh, and then we got talking to People intercessors, you know, from different parts of the world and and, and to get an understanding. is what is this? And some of them try to explain it away because if they're not functioning in that anointing, they can't tell. But when you understand, oh, that's a function of the Holy Spirit and, you know, a function in discerning of spirits, which is one of the gifts, and, and, and that's a particular facet of it. So, Every Christian has a special inward endowment to perform a specific function. Everybody say function. Say, I have an unction to function. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. Let's put some more definitions to the word anointing. Because there's always, just as soon as we think we got it figured out, there's always more, <laughs> all right. There's just always, there's multiple layers to this thing. So the anointing is a special ability. It is a divine empowerment, endowment of supernatural power. Now, you know, all human beings have got gifts in their lives, gifts, talents. Some people are really good at this, some really people are really good at that. Some are musically inclined, creatively inclined. other people are inclined more more in the area of administration or in the area of uh, academia. Some people are really good at maths, some people are really good at with languages, uh, linguistics, some people are good in, in economics, and other people are good in, in, in leadership and everybody has a gift and and the gifts need to be developed, and they need to be. Kind of, ear yeah, sharpened. So, but when the Bible speaks here about that, he says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. It isn't specifically speaking about those natural gifts. though they do come into it because you see, here is, if I can show you that with my two hands, here is the natural gift to do something well. But here is the anointing that wants to come on your natural gift and take it to an entirely new level. We, we say, this is the natural and this is the super. And when the super comes on the natural, you get supernatural results. I reckon the Christians ought to be the best musicians on the face of the earth. Ought to be the most brilliant mathematicians. Ought, ought to be the, 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 the most brilliant presidents and prime ministers. Ought to be just the best in every field that is available for us to serve in, uh, to serve humanity. And in many respects, that is the case. You know, a lot of the old-time scientists, they were Christians. Isaac Newton and and Albert Einstein and a lot of these people, they were believers. And secular uh, academia refers to them but neglects to tell us that they had an anointing to function because they don't understand the anointing and they kind of don't tell us about their Christianity because to them it's not attractive. But God brought wisdom into the earth through the anointing. God brought a, an ability to tap into things that have not previously been tapped into. It's a bit like, you know, the way to describe it is like we have, a, in our office environment, we have a, 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 a computer server there where all, all, all the information, all the data, all the documents are stored. Then we've got individual workstations, in the various offices there, and because it's wonderful, it's wireless and we connect in anywhere uh, and so forth. And, uh, and, but here's the deal you know, in the old days, they used to have what's called a mainframe computer. Uh, nowadays, we don't hardly ever hear that term anymore, and I'm certainly no expert in this area. But you know, you've got different workstations. It's like if you imagine that God's the server, he holds all documents, he holds all wisdom, all knowledge, and all understanding. And individual believers are like individual workstations that can wirelessly tap into God. (laughs) Wirelessly. How about that? And download the wisdom in our times of prayer. God, give me understanding about this. And Lord, give me insight in regards to that. God, give me answers and solutions to humanity's problems. And you see many times the anointing has only been kind of kind of locked down within the church environment Um, people say oh yes it requires that anointing to preach and anointing to prophesy anointing to to um, cast out devils and an anointing to do this and it it, and, and that's all good it's absolutely true but when we go out into the marketplace on a Monday there is an anointing there to be a good a good worker there's an anointing there to be a good accountant, to be a good lawyer, to be a good, uh, a good IT person. When I say good, I mean excellent. <laughs> uh, I mean just for everything and anything, wherever you go, if, if, if you're born again and filled with the Spirit, there is the anointing. And it is not limited to just spiritual aspects and spiritual work because you're going to work is spiritual. It's you, you serving in a particular company, in a particular organization. That's spiritual. And God wants you to take the anointing, and God absolutely knows what the problem is in the organization. God knows what's needed to drive this thing forward. God's got solutions to every situation, and the anointing will teach us. That's why when John says, he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You know all things, well, they didn't literally know everything at that moment in a, in a, in a general sense. But he says, you've got the potential to access all knowledge. In fact, Vanessa and I, when we were in Bible college, we used to start confessing, we know all things. We know all things, we have an unction to function, we've got an anointing and we know all things. Well, literally, we didn't know all things, but we started to confess that we know all things. And there's been like numerous times, like we go to the bed in the evening wondering about something, and in the morning we wake up with the knowledge that's like right there. God, just has been a download at nighttime, right? you know, just while we were sleeping this last night. Wisdom just downloaded without us even knowing. In the morning we just wake up and say, so, you know what? I've just got the answer to that situation. I've been sleeping, I've been connected to the mainframe computer called the Lord God Almighty, and he gave me all wisdom there, and I don't know how long the download took, but it was fast speed, uh, I'm sure, and somewhere we just we now have, we now have the wisdom. How you can testify that you know exactly what I'm talking about that it's happened to you. And God wants to do more of that. if we can only understand, we can only recognize, we, can, we stop neglecting the gift because we realize that there's a function there that's been previously not understood and not known about and not know how to facilitate this process so we don't just get a bit here and a bit there, but it just becomes part of our lifestyle. That we're connected up to God 24-7. You know, the network never goes down. (laughs) Network never goes down. So do not neglect the gift that is in you. So the anointing then, a special ability, a divine endowment of supernatural power, it is a divine enabling to carry out a function assigned to us by God. And in potential it's all there, but sometimes we get layers, there's certainly something that begins to happen through the laying on of hands. Sometimes there's a stirring up of that which is already within, and sometimes there's an impartation of something which is not there. Paul said to the Roman believers, says, I, I've been keen to come to you. He says, I want to impart spiritual gifts to you guys. Each time my hands are laid on us, we're trusting God that we're going to get something good every time. Not only is there a stirring up of what's already there, but we, there's an impartation of a fresh function, of a fresh anointing. I remember when we were in Bible college, uh, and one of the teachers there, um, his wife uh, is a young girl. She knew she was going to marry a minister. And, uh, and when she did, um, and she started to get pulled into the whole area of praise and worship and worship leading, it says suddenly a, a, a voice came into her life that she never had as a little girl. It's a supernatural voice. I mean, talk about that girl being able to sing. It was just, she started singing, and the heavens opened up. It was a supernatural deal that God did to just download, you know, how do you have a GPS unit in your car and you can download different voices? You can have guys voices you get girls voices you get one with British accent and one with New Zealand accent how many of you have that okay some of you have uh, I know I have all right I hardly changed the voice uh, on there but what I'm saying is that there is a download uh, specifically that happened in the life of this person and God wants to do more of that there's people that we were in South Africa there's a man that was uh, I think I mentioned that before that he was uh, uh, kind of a personal attendant to Dr. Theo, um, traveling, driving him around and and so forth and uh, was hardly able to speak English, couldn't read or write. But he was quite a guy in terms of, uh, you know, like, you know, we we call him Ashes, but there's, you know, some instances they're required to be bouncers and bodyguards, you know, in certain places. And anyway, the man signed up for Bible college and everything is English spoken and it requires reading and writing skills. And he just couldn't, didn't know how to do that. Well, the moment he signed up and when he walked away, suddenly he was able to speak English and he was able to read and write supernaturally. Because he made a commitment to do something, to serve God. And today he's pastoring a church in Johannesburg with thousands of people in it themselves. Another Christian family church international. So the, so there is a whole supernatural dynamic that according to Paul is neglected. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. And very quickly now, Second Timothy 1.6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift. So, it's not just neglect it, it's a stir it up. Stir up the gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So, Timothy, I laid my hands on you. I know that something was imparted when I laid my hands on you. He says, Now you're required to stir it up. People sometimes say, Well, people pray for me, but nothing's happening. Well, stir it up. Stir it up. <laughs> Let's get stirred up. <laughs> Let's stir it up. Very briefly now as we wind down, we stir up the gifts through, there's a number of things that we do. I've just written a few of them down. It's praying. General praying, but specifically praying in tongues. Just for long periods of time, stir, just stirring up the anointing as we speak in tongues. Kukarabasaya, basutu, stirs up the gift. It's worship. Each time we worship, and we're not just talking about singing songs, but we enter into worship, there's a stirring up. Then anointed preaching. I know when I get under the sound of anointed preaching, because it fires off things on the inside of me, I need, a, I need something to write with, like always. Like I need to write things down, because God's speaking to me. I just had a revelation. And many times, not even in regards to what's spoken about, but just depending on what is happening in my life and what I need and what questions and I'm asking, suddenly there's a download of answers and and, and a download of an understanding that previously was not there. Reading and meditating in God's Word. That stirs up the anointing. A couple more things. It's fellowshipping with the saints. In one translation, when he talks about stirring up the gift, uh, in the original language, it says, "Fan into flames. Fan into flames. You know, just take a single coal that's in a fire that's burning and doing quite fine. You take it out and place it somewhere by itself and within minutes it's out. Because we need one another getting around the anointing of other believers and the fellowship of the saints. We get together at the weekends. We get together during the week. And each time we come together, there's a firing up of the anointing. And then simply using the gift by, you know, starting to function. That in itself uh, causes a stirring up. You know, one major deal that we've added into the life of our church in the last few years is Bible college. That will stir up the anointing. How you can testify that you in first year and some of you are in second year and, and being in how many of you know that? Praise God. Is anybody excited this morning? How many are you getting ready for a new download? Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, special abilities. New voices to sing. Ability to play instruments. Solving mathematical complex problems. Issues at your work where everybody's stumped. But you got the answer because you're hooked up to the Lord God Almighty. Anyway, I preached my heart out this morning. This is as far as we're going to go. I think I'm just going to stop right there. Let's just worship God with this last song before we wind down. Thanks, guys.